good to see everyone again. Today we're, we're going a step further into our Blank Ever After marriage series that we kicked off last week. We started a marriage series by talking about singleness, so that's a good way to start it off because a lot of times our, our singles are forgotten about, but if we look at Jesus and we look at Paul, the author and founder of our faith and the the biggest teacher of our New Testament, guys were both single their entire life, and it wasn't like a secondary class citizen. It was honored, and God thought they could really accomplish a lot, and that's what Paul was trying to teach uh, through the scriptures as we looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 last week. And we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5, so if you have your Bible, and you can see well in a dimly lit room, or you have an illuminated cell phone, that'll help. If not, we'll have it on the screens, but we're going to go further into the scriptures. Marriage is a funny thing. My wife and I will celebrate our eight-year anniversary um, this year, which we're really thrilled about. Um, and I know many of you in the room, you have far many more moons on us when it comes to marriage and more wisdom. And so I approach this very humbly today, saying I, I very much am a young man in, in uh, many respects and, and in marriage, but I, I just want to open up the Word of God and allow that to speak to every one of us. Whether you're married or not today, I put it like this, um, I, most folks, not everybody wants to be married. A lot of folks want, want to just be single. And that's, but many folks want to be married and you're in a place of, of uh, singleness in this season of your life. And what the example and illustration I gave last week is that um, you may want to, <clears throat> if you heard that uh, your de- greatest desire or you knew that your greatest desire was to skydive, but you heard the rates in, of survival were really, really low. Like there was only 50% of survival um, you would be like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. But if you heard that there was this class being offered and there was this instruction manual on how to survive one of your greatest dreams to skydive, you wouldn't have to avoid it. You would just need to learn a little more. And that's kind of what we're facing uh, with marriage today. The statistics are, are, are very daunting. Um, but if it's a desire that, that God's placed in your heart and it's something that you want to do, then let's take this time, single or married, and learn about God's plan in marriage. And we're going to talk about that today, the foundations of marriage. And so I'm, I'm excited because uh, that's, it's really uh, some really foundational teaching that I think a lot of times we focus on a certain passage within this text, but not the entire text. And we're going to look at the whole chapter. Marriage is a funny deal because many times it's a power struggle. It's funny all the cliches we have with marriages, like it's the old ball and chain, right? Better have fun now because after you get, I mean... You guys know them as well as I do. Uh, but it's so funny. It speaks to really this view that we have of marriage. I mean, so, much, so many cliches, they happen because people have said them a lot. And if we say something a lot, then we probably believe something about that. And so it's very important for us to kind of strip back all these cliches and ideas of marriage. And if we really want to know the foundations for what a biblical marriage, a, a godly marriage looks like, then we need to look into the scriptures today. And so that's what we're going to do. But many times, marriage is like me versus them. It's it's the car I want to buy versus the house she wants to, or the neighborhood she wants to move into. It's, it's how much I waste time versus how much she wastes money. I'm not saying that about my marriage. My wife's really good with both of those things. Um, but it, it's this, this struggle, this power struggle. And the scripture we're going to look at today, I feel like, is an often misinterpreted text when it comes to power and the struggle. And, and I want to present to us the entire text today. Because I think it's going to solve a lot of the questions we might have or the struggles we've had from where we've come from and how we've been raised. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at very, starting with verse 1. It's just a beautiful uh, text here. I'm really talking on foundations for a godly marriage. <clears throat> it begins like this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. That's point one. Follow God's example. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. What, what is following God's example? Well, look at Christ. He walked in love and he gave himself 
up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Really the first piece that I think Paul is setting up for us, like if you want a godly marriage, well, you need to both follow the example of Christ. So many times we'll get into this, uh, this ideas that we have about gender roles, but really it's all that goes, uh, not away um, completely, but it's inspired and moved by following Christ's example. And in what two ways does he give us? One, that he walks in the way of love. Christ came into this world and showed us what love was. God showed us what love was by sending his son Jesus to, to walk in that love and to uh, be sacrificed, to give himself up. I think that's really where it begins to pull in. Uh, in the scriptures, it says that God is love. He's not a self-help book on love. He is the very definition of love. John 15 says that if we want to produce anything, if there's anything good that wants to come out of us, then we need to learn to abide in the vine, to abide with the Father. Because otherwise, if we're not abiding with the Lord, if we're not following his example in a real communion not just following his example, but out of communion we follow that example. That's really where that's birth. And, and so both of these aspects are to walk in love, but we can't do that without abiding with the Lord. And so it, really we want to talk about how to be a good spouse. Like you say, hey, how am I doing as a spouse? Here's what I would ask you. How are you doing at being Christ-like? <laughs> if you're doing good at being Christ-like, you're probably being a good spouse. And, and that's really, really all we need to know. The question that we need to ask ourselves is not how can I fix my marriage or what do I need to say to them to get through to them. It's like, am I being Christ-like? Am I doing the part that God's called me to do? Um, so it's this walking in love. And 1 Corinthians 13 gives us this definition of love. It plays it out. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it goes on and on just about describing what love is. But if we can't produce those things on, on our own, it's really the source is defined in John 15, that it's abiding with him, and that's where good fruit of how to walk in love comes. But it's out of this relationship, following his example. But it's also this giving himself up, is what Paul says. That's part of following Christ's example, or, or God's example, is that Christ gave himself up. And I talked about this last week and set this up. Our, we don't realize how selfish and how uh, uh, skewed of a view we have on marriage today. Because now, I mean, and those that, that are younger in the room would probably have this perspective maybe a little bit more than those that are older. I don't know. That's not necessarily true. But uh, <clears throat> our culture today really defines marriage. You really want to find someone who will help, like, all of your dreams come true. Like, and that's like a very fairytale, romantic thing. But if we really begin to, like, layer that back, what we have is a really selfish approach as we enter marriage about what we want. It's about what, who's going to make my career go forward. It's about who's going to make me happy. And look, I think you should find someone that wants your career to go forward, that believes in the things you believe in, that, that wants to take care of you and wants the best for you. You should want that. But I think there's also, we've got to be careful that we don't have this completely selfish motive that we go in and it's all about what we can get out of a marriage, not about what we can give into a marriage. In premarital counseling, I, call, I, I use this really corny term, any of you in the room that have been a part of this, my wife laughs at me and thinks it's so stupid, but I call it Love Mountain. I call it Love Mountain. And, and it's this mountain that we're building together, and every day we have a shovel, every hour, every moment we have a shovel, and we can either add to the mountain or we can take away from the mountain. And slowly but surely, it's going to say how strong and the bond is going to be for us, or slowly but surely, is one person taken away or are both adding to the mountain? I know it's cheesy, it's corny, but uh, it's a way to kind of present this picture of, am I taking or am I more concerned with giving? And Jesus paints us this picture, this example 
of being self-forgetting, self-sacrificing, uh, to the point that both needs are met. But that's not the, the only piece of the puzzle. Paul begins to expound on what this really looks like, and we'll continue with verse 3. So the question you just got to ask yourself is, how far am I willing to sacrifice in my marriage, in, in my life, to be an example um, of Christ? So let's continue, verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, not even a hint, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Improper, like it doesn't fit the representation of being an example of Christ. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. There's this replacement thing, and some of us in our, in our lives, in our marriages, there may be some of these things going on, whether it's coarse joking or whether it's um, you know, sexual immorality. There may be some of these things going on, and my wife started doing something that's really powerful in our home, and later in the text, he's also going to refer to this. And right outside of our bathroom, she's put this little journal there, and every day she gets there and she asks, Dad, what are you thankful for? Beckett, what are you thankful for? And we do it several times a day, usually in the first part of the day, and the in, ending part of the day. She's much better about it than me. I'm usually out the door. But she started this practice in our home, and it's making an impact, I really feel like, on the over, overall I don't know how else to say, uh, energy and attitude of our home because we're going to the Lord on a regular basis saying, God, what are we thankful for? Sometimes the reason the grass looks greener on the other side is because we're not thanking God for what's right here and because we're not watering it, as you've probably heard before. So let's continue. For uh, of this, you, uh, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, uh, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Continue. Uh, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. <clears throat> Therefore, do not be partners with them. Uh, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Grab that. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And verse 10 wraps it. And find out what pleases the Lord. Really, it's kind of second kind of piece of the puzzle that Paul's building for us here. I can just summarize in this ch- uh, verses 3 through 10 here, is to live as children of the life, uh, of, the, of the light, aka a holy lifestyle. Like, if you really want a marriage, and it, it's so funny, like, uh, divorces, um, infidelity doesn't start with, like, going and doing something insane. It starts with a hint of sexual immorality. It starts with a hint of greed where, you know what, I'd rather just spend more time at the office than I do at home. You know, oh, I'd rather not talk to my wife because that's going to be an awkward conversation. I'll just start talking to this coworker, And it rolls into that type of stuff. So it starts with just a hint of it. And so he's saying if you really want a foundational godly marriage, um, it, it's really part of living as children of light. That relationship that is produced out of that John 15 remaining and abiding in him that flows into this godly example is going to flow into a holy life. And so I just ask you today, not only uh, uh, about, um, about this, but also with the, the idea of find out what pleases the Lord. So many times in our marriage, it's about what, when this selfish perspective, we go, what pleases me? Well, I don't like the way, you know, you fold the towels. This was a thing when Taryn and I first started dating. Now, you know what, I, babe, I honestly don't know if I get them right or not. I just know that you've stopped telling me whether I get them right or wrong. Um, but this is a big thing when we first started, uh, when we first got married, is that I, I folded the towels wrong. I didn't know there was an exact way. I just knew there was a way that put it together and it fit in there. And so that, that's what I went with. But apparently there's a very much a right way and a wrong way. And over time, I, again, I don't know if I'm getting it right or she's just stopped 
Uh, I won't use the word nag, but she just stopped asking me because she's like, you're a lost cause, just go with it. Or if she changes them, I have literally no idea. I don't pay that much attention to towels. But I, I know this, so many, so many times we, we get concerned about our desires and our will and what we can get out of something and what we want changed. But this verse 10 says, find out what pleases the Lord. We're so quick to rush to decisions and I just love the passage of scripture that just talks about being slow to speak, slow to get angry. And like, let's be real, that's hard. It's really hard to like slow down our speech, to slow down our anger that, that's kind of rising up out of all these, this pain in our life. But slowing that down is really a time where we can allow the Holy Spirit in to speak to us and reveal and ask the question, God, really what is your will? What, what pleases you? And that's really the, the thing that we've got to in, get into. First Peter said it. Be, why, are we, why are we to pursue holiness and why are we allow that to happen in our life is because we want to be an example and a representation. So this is really the second kind of piece of the puzzle. We're going to skip down that actually went through verse 10 and we're going to pick up at verse 17 because he begins to, he kind of re, begins verse 17, the place that he ends verse um, 10 with this idea, find out what pleases the Lord, the big question. So let's go back into the text at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It's the same idea. Find out what pleases the, pleases the Lord. Find out, you know, what's the Lord's will. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, underline this, be, instead be filled with the Spirit. Instead be filled with the Spirit. Let's finish this out here. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. It's hard to speak from those things if we don't read those things and know what a psalm is and, and, and know the songs of the Lord. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks. There's thanksgiving again to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We'll come back to that. Really the third piece of, of the foundations for a godly marriage, I believe, is being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is, uh, Francis Chan put the whole, uh, did a book on, on the Holy Spirit, and he, he said it's called The Forgotten God. That means how we talk about Father, Son, um, and, and Father and Son, but we forget this person of the Holy Spirit uh, and, and our Godhead. And, and the Trinity is such a difficult thing. We could have all these deep theological debates and conversations about what the Scriptures say on the Spirit, but I know in the very beginning the Spirit hovered out over the waters, uh, the Ruah, the, the breath of God uh, that we see hovering out in the waters, and we see that continue all the way through Scriptures. And it's such a difficult thing to comprehend and understand. And I can just best describe it in 30 seconds like this in a very small description, is that the things that make up this life, um, uh, the two kind of key things that make up the world, the present world we live in is time, time's ever moving, and space. And, and again, this isn't a perfect definition, but it's a, a way to grasp a hold of this ungrasp, ungraspable you know, idea here. Uh, that time is time, and God is God, and, and but there's these three distinct features of time. There's past, present, and future. And so we can understand time because we understand there's past was back then, future's here, present's here. Um, and the same thing, the other thing that kind of makes up our life is matter. And we, under, we learned this when we were in elementary school that there's liquid, solid, and gas, and then somehow science, they figured out what plasma is. And I really don't know what plasma is, but apparently there's a fourth of them, uh, which messes up this illustration. But, um, uh, but we understand that the liquid solid gas makes up matter and the things that make up this life. Uh, but they're still all matter. 
And there's these three representations of it. And that's what we find in the, the three distinct uh, personal natures of God as he reaches out into humanity. There's God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. And I really want to take a moment and talk about the Holy Spirit for, for just a minute and what the scriptures say about the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. Uh, because it, like uh, Francis has put, like it, it's very much a forgotten God many times. And so uh, there's a, really a few aspects I think that we need to know about being filled with the Spirit and the, really the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's threefold that we find in the scriptures. You may find some other ones and say, hey, I'd like to add this one. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, but the, the really the, the three that I'd point out today would be, uh, one is a comforter, is that comforts our fears. Comforts our fears. Uh, in John uh, chapter 14, um, Jesus is saying, look, I'll pray to the Father, and I'll ask that he send you an advocate, or the Greek uh, word paraclete, um, which means literally to come alongside of, much like a spouse would come alongside of you. And some of the things that we desire in a marriage is that there'd be someone there to comfort us when we're hurting, right? And, and the role of the Holy Spirit is to come alongside of us. So can you imagine uh, missing that piece of the puzzle? And, and as we begin to place that piece of the puzzle into our marriages, what a difference that makes in our marriage when we know that it, it's, it's the Holy Spirit's job to comfort our fears. And the advocate comes alongside of us and he'll lead us as the spirit of truth. Uh, and so that's in John chapter 14. And then the second piece of the puzzle uh, for the role of the Holy Spirit is that it leads us into the truth of Christ. In, in both John 14 and John 15, it says, um, uh, it refers to the spirit as the spirit of truth. And uh, in the John 15 passage, he goes on to say that the spirit will testify about me. That the spirit, like it's not just Jesus, there's going to be someone that's going to help reveal these unknowable things. Paul later puts marriage at the very end of this chapter, chapter that we'll read as a profound mystery. And so like if you scratch your head and everybody says that marriage is a profound mystery and we can all say amen to that. But he's talking about Christ and the church and that relationship there. But the second role of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is to lead us into the truth in Christ. He's going to reveal the truth to our minds and hearts. That means we don't have to read the scriptures um, with, just like we, do, we would a history book, but the Holy Spirit is helping us to understand the truth and leading us to all truth about Christ and the Gospels. Same thing in our marriage. that We don't have to go through and figure this out. We can seek the Lord's will. The Holy Spirit's going to lead us to that truth. And the third part is what we find in Acts chapter 1-8, um, that uh, you'll be in power. The Spirit will come on you uh, from on high and will empower you uh, to go and preach, preach the Word of God, to preach the Gospel into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the parts of the world, that we would be empowered for the ministry of sharing the Gospel. These are three roles of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I, I wonder just how much, if we were just to ask ourselves, how would this just breathe life? If I just really begin to open my heart to the Holy Spirit's work in my life, how would this begin to transform my marriage? How would it begin to transform my relationship with God in such a way that now I, I'm not trying to figure out truth on my own or just talking to people? Like, the Spirit is revealing those things to me. Even if, if I'm, we're going through a tough time in our marriage and like I feel so alone and we feel so distant, we wouldn't feel alone because we'd be comforted by the Holy Spirit. And in those times where we're struggling and we don't have a job or, and we don't find fulfillment in this, we'd find fulfillment through the empowerment of the Spirit leading us to share the gospel and being fulfilled in the ministry of the kingdom well, that God's called us all to be a part of. So God fills the voids, voids that our spouse cannot. I think that's a, a problem many times in marriages, that we think that one person can fill every single one of our needs. 
And it's no wonder that we say, well, I was unsatisfied in my marriage. Yeah, because you were counting on that one person to fill all these needs. Not one person, not groups of people, not the right types of friends. All those things are important. And they fill certain voids in your life. But nothing can fill the voids like the Holy Spirit can. That can comfort those fears. And so complete submission to God really comes prior to learning to serve others, which is how this, uh, this um, description about the uh, life in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. So if you'll go back to verse 20, uh, verse 20 and verse 21, he's ending this description of what it looks like um, to be filled with the Spirit, singing songs and, and giving thanks to God, these things. And then we see, we see a period here, because we're reading out of the NIV, but if you look into the Greek, there's no period there. If you look into King James, they actually put a semicolon, which is one of those things that everybody pretends they know what, what it is, but like, yeah, I'll just, if you don't know what to do, I'll just put a semicolon on there and we'll keep going. Do you guys ever do that? All right, I'm the only one, okay. Um, didn't know what it is for a long time, but now I know what it is. It's, it's a continuing of an idea so that this, this sentence could stand alone, but I want to make sure it's connected to the other idea. The King James puts it with this idea directly from the Greek, that that period's really not there. It's really a semicolon. And so submitting to one another, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is really the last piece of the puzzle of what comes out of being filled with the Spirit. And so many times the text is going to begin to move into uh, roles between husband and wife and submission between one another. But this is such a powerful thing because it's really talking about all of us. And he's continuing to talk about, about the relationship between Christ and the church and using marriage to, to teach on that as well. So what would it look like for us to, to, to not only s- submit to others, but first to submit to Christ? If we have trouble like submitting to others and, and moving everything out of our will and what we want out of things, then it's very difficult for us. I think if that's not being able to take place, we might want to ask, are we really submitted to Christ? Or can we really submit our hearts um, to the Lord? And I think as we do that and allow the Lord in, we'll find that um, submission may not always be the easiest thing, um, but it's God-inspired, and there's so much power of what God does in us. And so I believe that God's going to do a lot in our marriages uh, through really opening our hearts to, to this idea uh, about the Spirit and the submission that comes with it, complete submission to God. Uh, so let's pick up at verse 22. This is where people like to start arguing about stuff and start getting on these um, uh, chauvinistic and feministic kind of ideas, and this is a passage that's been used and abused in the church and in cultures around the world. But all of this really is built on this fact of following Christ's example, living a holy lifestyle, and being filled with the Spirit. It's all built on that. And so here we pick up verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives um, so should submit to their husbands in everything. Uh, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Again, this passage has really been used to uh, preach like a, a male domination type thing. And, and uh, what we miss is this big verse 25 of like what it looks like for a husband to give his life as Christ gave himself up for. And so it, it turns into this male kind of domination of, of things. And is there a head of the household? Yes, the scriptures are, are plain about that. But it, what is that role of the leadership? Jesus came and established what leadership looked like in the church. And even though he wasn't married, he established what it looked like in the home, as Paul references it here. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The church is often called the bride of Christ. To make her holy, cleansing her by the wash. I love this. Make, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Like, men, husbands, like, uh, 
washing her through the word of like honoring God through the scriptures and, and being able to have a profound impact. I, I think in the culture we live in today, like uh, women are, are seeing, and this has been for, for generations, that uh, getting married would kind of grow a man up and he'd grow to mature as he, he found him a woman. And the woman's seen there to, okay, you know, well, he gets with you, then she'll train you up. And there's this whole idea. But the scriptures really say, men, like, lead the way there by cleansing her by the washing of the water. Like, be a leader in your home and in society. Continue. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Like, husbands, men in the room that will be married one day. And wives alike, so many times our, our marriages are built off of, like it's some kind of game where we're keeping score the whole time. Of, oh, he did, he did it right today. I, I bet he'll do it wrong the rest of the week. And there's this, this scoreboard, there's this unwritten scoreboard that we keep in our mind. And it's, it happens, happens to the best of us. But this idea right here is to, that our goal is that we would present her like holy and blameless, like that we could love her in such a way that we could honor her in such a way that would present her without stain, without insecurities, without fear, um, with, with complete comfort and confidence in, the, in, the, in who God's called her to be. It meant if we could grab a hold of what that would look like to, to build her up and not tear her down, which is often how this scripture has been used in the past. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It sounds a lot like this, the second commandment that Jesus talked about, love your neighbor as yourself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body, of his body. I, I think this whole thing in here is talking about living this godly life. The same thing he says in verse 1 of following Christ's example uh, the whole way. And, and the relationship with, with uh, uh, Christ in the church, him being the head, that he gave himself up for her, gave himself up. And so I would just ask us today as we, we really grapple, grapple a hold of the idea of submission and sacrifice and service to one another, what would that look like in our marriages? What would that look like in the church? Because Paul keeps referring to Christ in the church. Even if you're not married, you have a relationship with the church. What would this look like to, to walk in submission and sacrifice uh, in our lives and to pre present one another, to present uh, husbands and wives as blameless and, and holy to the Lord, which fulfills really the second part, the second piece of the foundation of living that holy lifestyle, that we are involved and the Holy Spirit helps us it comes alongside of us to, to spur each other on. So many times marriages look like this. It's like, you know, we go into marriage and like, you know, we're going to get married, but I really hope that you, this part of you can change and this part of you can change. Sorry, I'm walking over here because I don't believe that. Um, uh, that we, we kind of go into marriage with this idea of like, oh, I want all these things to change. And we try to manipulate, we try to keep count and score on whether they're getting there. And the, the, what's the first element about love that we find in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient. Love is patient. And I think that one's first for a reason, because everybody in the room say, like, that's a tough one. Like, it's a really tough one. And I think it's so important as we understand that the Lord is patient with us. And, and so many times, the, the pride that we operate out of in our relationships, not just marital relationships, um, but all of our relationships, 
is really damaging to uh, the freedom that we have in Christ. Because the, the idea of, of our, we, we have this idea that, yeah, we're perfect, and we are, you know, through Christ, but the, the reality is that uh, we're, we're very fall, you know, we're very flawed, and we fall short of the glory of God, uh, and, and we need God. And, and I think this text is getting us to, to really understand just about modeling Christ-like behavior. And really the first thing we started, like, am I being a good spouse? I don't know. Are you being Christ-like? And that this text is not saying the, the man's superior. It, it, it's saying that he's supposed to model love and sacrifice like Christ did. He's supposed to pour out his life. And, and are there gender roles and, and are there certain things? Yes, I, there are those things. I, and here's what I, I love about this conversation is one, like, I, I think it's kind of, I don't know if it's a stereotype. It might be a more of a stereotype in, in these days because the, our world has just changed and gender roles are kind of blown up in the air from what they've traditionally been. Um, but one of the things that we, we find Jesus fulfilling is the things that are most natural for women. Women are considered to be what? Like more emotional, right? Like women are moved by emotion. Am I right? Am I being wrong, ladies? Okay, you, you're not emotional. You guys are getting mad at me, and so there's emotions thing. Um, no, the... the that, that's kind of the consideration. Most of the time women uh, are, are moved a little more by emotion. They're, they're known to be a little more compassionate. Men are, are, are known to be a little more principle-driven, a, a little more, you know, I don't care, you know, if they need anything. Most of the time, okay? We, none of us fall perfectly into those categories, and based on the roles and the, the, your gender and your family and, and those type of things, th- those things play in and, and kind of melt the pot, if you will. Uh, but what I love about Christ is that he explodes every kind of stereotype we have about what it means to be a man or a woman, and, it, and, and he, he resurrects this new way to be human, and that he was always principle-driven. He was always in the truth and love of God, but he operated in complete compassion, too, and he knew how to not pick one or the other, but to embody both of them as he walked with the Lord and was filled with the Spirit. I, I really believe that's how it happens. That's how we learn to walk in that. And so it really presents this idea that we're, we're to be Christ-like, that it starts at the very beginning. That the woman's not to, she's not inferior either, but she's to model and, and, and the care and the sacrifice of the church that God's put unique things in her life to be able to do. And so it's such a powerful idea as we understand that we're all called to submission and sacrifice to one another and to be like Christ and the church and to be who God's called us to be within that. I want to finish out this passage. Uh, actually, before I do, that was a, a great quote. I was talking the other day uh, with Benaiah, and we were just talking about what's going on in his life and just what God was doing in his life spiritually. And he said this great quote, and I'm like, it came up in my mind as I was preparing. And he said, the more I give, the more I realize God wants. And I was like, man, that's a really, really great quote, and great idea that's so full of scripture. And, and so I think that's just a great thing for us to grab a hold of in this process. As we pursue Christ, uh, we know, that, and what the John 15, to refer back to that, says that as uh, God prunes the ones that he loves, and so as God, if you're being drawn into Christ and you feel like God's telling me to change and like change some of my, my, my ways, we, we do. We realize that the more we give, the more we realize that he wants, not in a way that can um, make up for the wrong we've done or make up for, you know, earn our way to salvation. It doesn't happen in that way, but in such a pure way that God wants all of us. He's jealous for all of us. Let's finish out this text, 31 through 33. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Many times we, we might have one mortgage, but we've got two marriages. 
And we might have one family name, but we've got two different focuses on what life is about. And this is saying that we've got to leave all of that in order to be, to be one, cleave to one another. And here's the, the reference I was quoting. This is a profound mystery. It's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And, and it rounds out in verse 33 with a repetition of what he said earlier. However, each one of you must also, uh, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I think finally it's just saying, embrace the mystery. Embrace the mystery of marriage. Embrace the, the mystery of, of this relationship with God and the church that we can't understand all these pieces of the puzzle, but the Holy Spirit can reveal those things to us. Walking with Christ on a daily basis and, and being in a real relationship with Him, remaining in Him, can produce those things. And so it's a profound mystery, all of this, grabbing a hold of it. But I think we can, we can embrace that mystery in such a way that it helps us to pursue unity. In our marriages, in the church, in such a way that uh, we're drawn to look more Christ-like. We're drawn uh, to, to be a reflection of Christ in the church. My prayer is that we, uh, as a body, would model sacrifice and submission. Not in a way of domination, but a way, in a way that we find unity in the body of Christ. And we find uh, love in what uh, Jesus referred to his disciples. He said, they'll know you by your love for one another. And I pray today, I pray that in your relationships, marital relationships, single relationships, that people would know that you're Christ's child because of your love. They would sense something different. They'd sense there's something real there, a foundation that's so strong, and it's on Christ, the chief cornerstone, that we've built our lives, we've built our marriages, we've built our, our lives as parents, as businessmen and women. The foundation is Christ, and they would sense the love that's poured out, not just from us, but from the Lord through us. And so I want to invite you to stand today. And we're going to be a part of the Lord's Supper today, Holy Communion. And nothing is a more full expression about the love of Christ than when Jesus sat down at the table with his disciples. Right before he's about to be crucified and nothing represents more the sacrifice that he gave and the, really the struggle of his humanity that we all have to deal with, very much so too. When he sat in the garden and he was really hoping that this cup could pass from him. And the submission he pulled out and revealed in a single statement is, yet not what I will, but what you will, Lord. And let it be done. Let it be so. And so I want that to be our prayer today as we come. We come humbly and celebrate the gift of God um, that this represents, that his body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us. That's the representation of this table today. And so I invite you to, to, seek your, to search your heart and say, God, create a clean heart in me. Create a pure spirit in me. God, if I've been prideful, if, if I've seen something wrong, if I've been more focused on things I shouldn't be focused on. If there's these hints of greed and immorality and things that would, would get in the way of what you're trying to do in my life, God, just help to purify those things as I come and we find unity in the body of Christ. It's a, it's a symbol of oneness. And I pray today that if you're married in this room, I think this is a great time for you all to take time together and to take communion together and pray with one another. And so I'd invite you husbands to 
to do that today and to pray with your spouse, to say, God, help us to be more like you. Help us to follow your example. Help, help us to be filled with your spirit today. Let's pray, and then you can come to the table. Father, we thank you, and we come humbly and boldly to the throne, God, because we're your children, but because we're broken people, God, and you make us whole in your goodness, God, and we thank you for the gift of marriage, God, the beauty of marriage that is a representation of this profound mystery, God, between you and us as the church, all of us. And I just pray today, God, that you would draw us into your spirit. You would help us to follow Christ's example, not out of religion or tradition, God, but out of a real relationship where we are abiding in you and you are abiding in us. God, and out of that comes some beautiful fruit, God, of, of our lives and love for one another, God. And I just pray that you'd purify us, cleanse us and make us holy, God, by your word today, and uh, help us to walk in your will and in your way, to find out what pleases you, Lord. Help us to honor you. We love you in Christ's name. The tables are open.